You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Now I've got a deeply personal question for you, uh, as I find my clicker. Deeply, how many of you are into hiking? A few. Now, you didn't think that's what I was going to ask when I said deeply personal question, is it? I, I love hiking. Hiking is something that I love to do. I love to get out in nature. I love to... Uh... Are there slides there? Well, that's awkward. They've gone for a walk. They've gone for a hike. There's no slides, Joseph? That's all right. We'll just wing it. You can just listen to me uh, rather than see things on the screen. That's fine. Now, I, I love hiking. I love getting out in nature. I love, particularly, there's a mountain called uh, the Sugarloaf Peak. It's on the Cathedral Ranges. That I love to go. There's just beautiful views for miles and miles around. But if you've been hiking before, you'll know that you can go the right way, you can go the wrong way, or you can go the long way, right? And so the right way is obviously the path that is quickest and safest to get there, The wrong way is the path that leads to you finding yourself on the edge of a cliff and no way back. And the long way is the way that it's sort of on the right way, but it's it's definitely a bit more treacherous. You've definitely found yourself off the beaten path and wondering, how am I going to get back on the right path again? I had that experience... uh, I went hiking uh, a couple of years back in the Lerdederg Ranges, which is uh, just north of Bacchus Marsh, this beautiful area. And I thought to myself, well, I'm just going to go for a nice walk. I'm going to just, just get out of, uh, get out of you know, suburbia. And it was going to be a 35-degree day. So I thought, I'll go early. I'll go early. Uh, I'll do an hour, and then I'll spend the rest of the day in the, in the river, and that'll be great. Well, one wrong turn later, I emerged eight hours out of the bush, heavily dehydrated, wondering if I was ever going to make it back to where my car was. I didn't even get in the river. I just wanted to go home, have a shower. I thought, this is where I'm going to die. I went the long way. Now, what David, the author of Psalm 1, is getting at is something similar to that. That just as you can go hiking the long way, the wrong way, and the right way, that that is a path that we can take with our spiritual lives as well, that there is a right way to go, a wrong way to go, and a long way. And what he's essentially asking us, he's, this is a psalm of wisdom. He's trying to answer the question, how do we live our best lives? And so he's instructing us that there is a right way to go for the blessed life. There is a wrong way to go for the blessed life. And if you find yourself on the long way there... This is how to get back on the right path. Now, if you've picked this up and you're not familiar with the Bible or the Psalms, it can appear pretty black and white, that David has just categorized everyone into two categories, either that they're evil or that they're blessed, either that they're wicked or righteous. And it just seems very old-fashioned, very black and white thinking. What what is going on here? And, And I get that, right? And it, it seems odd to us because we live in an incredibly multicultural, multi-faith kind of society where we have to live alongside those. Not just have to, we get to live alongside those who believe different things than we do and who live different lives and have different experiences and different cultures. And the way that we often do that is by flattening our differences. 
What we say is that, well, you have your way up the mountain and I've got my way up the mountain and they have their way up the mountain and I'm sure they'll get there. But that's not really how mountains work. right? There is a right way up the mountain. There is a long way up the mountain. There is a wrong way. And so what is actually infinitely more honest is to look at the differences and go, well, one of us is right and one of us is wrong. Let's have an honest discussion. It's one of the interesting things that if you talk to many people who come from overseas, particularly contexts where religion and spirituality are quite vibrant, they find Australia weird because we just don't talk about it ever, right? It's not open. We kind of think, we just keep it to yourselves, But the more you look at this psalm, what it's actually looking at isn't comparing the wicked and the right, those who have a right standing with God. It's not just comparing the blessed and evil. It's actually comparing who you're influenced by, who you're shaped by. What it's saying is take a look at what's coming into your life, lest it shapes you into becoming someone you don't want to be like. What it's saying is that there are two different kind of systems. It reads this in Psalm 1. Let me just say it out loud. It would have been on the screen, but our slides have gone on walkabout, so that's fine. It says this, Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. There we go. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. It's too different systems, two different inputs. A system is essentially you put something into it and something else comes out. It's shaped. It's like I remember going to England as a kid and uh, there were these machines you could put a penny in and it would come out and it would be flattened or shaped or whatever. That's what it's saying. You put something in and something else comes out. And the question is, who are you being shaped like? What is the system of your life doing to you? Are you happy with who you are and how you are? Edward Denning was an engineer and he once said that your system is perfectly designed to get the results you're getting. That is, systems are just systems. You put something in and something else comes out and so if it's not working... You need to check the input. You need to check the system. And for many of us, our system isn't working. Take, for instance, Australia. We live in one of the most intelligent, wealthiest, freest nations that has ever existed. And we looked at, uh, as we looked at generosity a couple of weeks back, we know that Australians have statistically the largest houses in the world on average. We have some of the wealthiest wages in the world. We're in the top 1%. And we waste the most food in the world. So we've got no lack of food on average. We are a blessed, prosperous nation. And so it would be easy to go, well, this is the blessed life. We often call ourselves the blessed nation. And yet, if you take a deeper look, the system starts unraveling. Because yes, we have incredible wealth, but what's skyrocketing at the moment is not our bank accounts, but the rates of depression and anxiety. We can have every kind of pleasure that you could ever imagine. Things unimaginable 50 years ago, and yet the end result is that many of us are miserable. You can literally transverse time and space and geography at the flick of a finger and contact anyone in the world 
literally just taking it out your phone and calling someone. And yet many of us are lonely. Britain, five years ago, appointed a minister for loneliness, calling it an epidemic. And even though we have massive bank accounts relative to the rest of the world, economists 60 years ago assumed that the greatest problem we would face is that we wouldn't know what to do with all our free time. Statistic just released showed that the average Australian works 319 unpaid hours of overtime per year, which works out if you're working a full week to two months of unpaid overtime. I don't know about you, but the system's not working. If the outcome of our lives, even though they are prosperous and seem blessed, is anxiety and depression and burnout and fatigue, if it's loneliness, it doesn't sound like a good outcome. It doesn't sound like a good system. And what the pandemic has done has not caused many of those outcomes. It's revealed things that were already true. And so if it's accelerated something for you, that's a good sign that maybe the system's not working. And the way that many of us cope with that is that we have coping mechanisms, right? We have things that we go to to mask how we feel. And so we go to Netflix every night. We go to alcohol. We go to relationships or friendships or whatever it is, experiences. We medicate ourselves to cope with the fact that our lives aren't working. Now, let me be clear. Coping strategies are fine. All of us use coping strategies every single day to get through difficult experiences. But if you need it constantly, every single day, it shows something about your life. Because what's presented here in Psalm 1 is not a life you have to cope from. It's not a life that you have to retreat from. It's not a life you have to endure. This is true health. It says this in verse 3. It's one of the most beautiful pictures, I think, in the Bible. It's describing the blessed person as like trees. Next, Next one, yep. They're like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all they do, they prosper. What it's describing for us is health, peace, calm, an unhurried life. Particularly in a Middle Eastern context, water is scarce. If you've grown up in a farming community, you'll know how difficult farming is during a drought. You'll know the effect it has on your crops. This is not a tree that withers season to season based on how much rain is falling. It has access to a source of life that does not go away. It has deep roots. It's not easily moved about. It's a picture of... Of health. I don't, I don't know if you've ever met someone like that. That you meet them, you talk to them, and just being around them is filling to your soul because they are healthy. They have the kind of life that they don't need to cope with. They're just experiencing a healthy life. It's a blessing to be around them. But then it presents a different image, that of chaff. Chaff is what happens to a tree when it's lost access to its source 
of life. What happens when the water has gone and its roots have dried up and its leaves have withered? The, the wind comes about and just throws it everywhere. It has no life in it. The end result is destruction. Yes, this psalm talks about destruction, but it's descriptive, not prescriptive. It's not saying God will destroy you. It's saying you will destroy yourselves. And that's the reality for many of us at the moment. The way we live our life matters. What David's saying is that you can't get healthy outputs from unhealthy inputs. That you can't get a blessed life from from wicked living. The way you live your life matters. And so what it's really asking us to do is check who we're being shaped by, check who we're being influenced by, check what our inputs are. That if life isn't working for us, maybe we actually need to check out what's coming into our souls, what's coming into our hearts and change something. Let me read again verse 1 and 2. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law they meditate day and night. Two very different inputs. One is filling themselves with scoffers. Scoffers is an old word, but basically it describes about half the amount of people who are on Facebook. Right? Anyone who likes to tear others down, you could say who sit in the seat of trolls. Right? Anyone who like, wants to tear down, that's a scoffer. It's describing someone who takes life. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread. We have a conscience. We know when we're doing things that we're not meant to. We know when we're off the beaten path. We know when we're on the wrong way. But the other input is their delight is in the law of the Lord and on His law they meditate day and night. Now, law is a bit of an unfortunate translation for us because really what it's getting at when it says law is instructions or teaching. It's unfortunate because what we hear when we hear law is rules. Just make sure you keep the rules and everything will work out well for you. But that's really not what David's on about. He's really getting on about instructions or teaching. He's talking about the words of God. He's talking about knowing God. He says, I meditate on God day and night. I meditate on God's words. I want to get to know Him. I want to see what He's like day and night. And in our culture, meditation has become quite familiar, but even this is a little twist because for many of us, meditation will be an emptying of what's going on in our brains, the silencing, whereas for David, it's a filling up. It's, I want to get more and more and more of God's Word into my soul, into my heart, into my mind, into my ears, into my mouth. I just want more and more and more and more. I want to chew on it because what we meditate on, what we think about, shapes our life. I can't remember who said it in the moment, but it was a very famous quote that, show me what a man or woman thinks about when they're alone and I'll show you their God. Show me what someone meditates on and I'll show you who they worship. What we meditate on matters. And here's the invitation in the psalm. 
if your life isn't working, if your system isn't working, there's an invitation to a different way of living. Many of us might feel like we're on the long way round to God, feel like we're off the beaten path, feel like we're not sure what we're doing, feel like we're, we're distant from God, feel like we're not really sure what we're doing. This is an invitation back. And for anyone who feels like they're not grounded, feels like they don't have roots, feel like their life source is just being evaporated, that feel like the outcome of their life is getting worse and worse and worse, the invitation is to come and drink from the source of life. One of the most famous words that Jesus says comes from Matthew 11. He says, Come all who are weary, and I have rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, yoke is a bit of a, a double entendre because whilst it, it definitely uh, refers to something that you put on a cow or a bull to do farm work, it also refers to a rabbi's teaching. What he's really encouraging us to do is to come fill yourself with me and my words and I have rest for your soul. What he's encouraging us to do is to fill up on Jesus. In the psalm, it talks about a source of life, a stream of water, and yet time and time again, Jesus is described as living water. It's saying, come drink, take your fill, fill your life with me, fill yourself with Jesus, fill yourself with his words, with his ways. That's where life is to be found. And so if you're sitting here this morning and going, this is not how I imagine my life to go. The things that I've based my life on have been shown up. Let me invite you to fill yourself with Jesus. You don't need to be a Christian to do that. You don't need to have been a church attendant to do that. You just need to open up your Bible and go, Jesus, show me. You can read the book of John, which is a wonderful introduction to Jesus. You could read the Sermon on the Mount. Just literally type into Google, the Sermon on the Mount. It's probably the most famous collection of teachings there are. And just sit on them, meditate on them, fill your life, because there is life in Jesus. And so it's an invitation to any of us who are feeling weary, feeling worn down, feeling anxious, feeling depressed, feeling burnt out. Come, all who are weary, I have rest for your soul. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this psalm and we thank you for this reminder that life is to be found in you. We thank you that you are gracious and merciful to forgive, that we can come to you regardless of how far we've gone off the beaten path, that whether we're on the wrong way or the right way, that we have access to you, that we can talk to you, that you love to hear us. So God, I pray that you would draw us to yourself that you would help us see all the ways in which we need Jesus, that you would help us see all the ways in which we've been following other paths, other directions that don't lead to life, but rather to the destruction of our bodies and souls. God, I pray that you would reveal to us all the ways in which we're putting stuff into our hearts and minds that are tearing us apart. God, I pray that you would fill us with your Spirit, and bear much fruit to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.